You're listening to the voices behind women's cricket chat. That's Georgie, Cassie, Mahika and Alex. Coming up on today's podcast... Welcome back to Season 8 Women's Cricket Chat. We're really excited to bring you more content from the amazing people of the world of women's cricket. We also have some really sad news, but also exciting news, is that Hannah has decided to step away from Women's Cricket Chat because she wants to focus on her PhD and being a mother to the beautiful little Phoebe. And we support her in everything she does there. And she will always and forever be part of the Women's Cricket Chat family. We wouldn't exist without her at the beginning. She was 50% of how this started and we love her and always will. And she will always be part of our family as we watch her and her family grow. But for now, we will be a foursome. So it carries on being Alex, Georgie, Mahika and Cassie. And we cannot wait to bring you more exciting interviews and content from the world of women's cricket. So here we go. Let's kick off with the first episode. So welcome to a new series of Women's Cricket Chat. We're on series eight. Series eight. Alex, for those of you who are listening rather than watching, is holding up for eight fingers for me, so I know. Series eight, and I'm absolutely buzzing that today we are joined by the one, the only, Hen Cowan. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. And for anyone watching, I'm actually very jealous of the outfit today that you've got going on. Those listening will just have to imagine, but it's it's fantastic. Hello, welcome. How are you? Thank you very much. What a lovely introduction on all fronts. Um, yeah, I mean, it's working from home, so it's kind of smart top half and tracks with bottoms on the bottom half. Uh, but no one needs to know that. I just look meeting ready. That's the most important thing. And importantly here, podcast ready. So delighted to be here. And that's like the 21st century version of the mullet business in the front party. And the back. <laughs> like business yeah. at the top, pyjamas at the bottom. It's all the same. It's exactly that. It's exactly that. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining us. We just want to chat, you know, everything you get up to in your role. But, you know, we, we do women's cricket, but so do you. So if you could just kick our listeners off with letting us, letting them know, like, what you do and how you got involved with it. For sure. Um, so for those of you who don't know me, hello, my name's Hen, my pronouns are they, them. Uh, I work at the England and Wales Cricket Board, ECB for short, um, not the European Central Bank, uh, as Google would uh, have you think. Uh, I have been at the ECB since 2017, which makes me feel very old. And I've been working across women's cricket in the communications department in that time. Um, so for a long time, I've worked with the England women's cricket team, so their media manager, which has meant traveling with them uh, on tour and at home, uh, essentially acting as the bridge between them and the wider world, uh, whether that's newspapers, uh, journalists, podcasts, fans, whatever it might be. Very recently, so at uh, the end of last summer, that that famous game at uh, Lords with um, the slightly um, kind of uh, infamous run out, um, I moved roles from working with the England team to working across domestic cricket. So I no longer travel with the England women's team. Uh, and now I work across the 100 and across women's uh, domestic cricket, regional cricket, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, my my life at the ECB has always been women's cricket. Um, I'm incredibly passionate about women's cricket. Before I joined the ECB, I was a journalist. Um, I worked for what is now Wisdom Cricket Monthly, um, all out cricket at the time. Um, OGs, remember. Um, and um, yeah, I, like you two and your listeners, am hugely passionate about growing women's cricket and taking it to as many fans as possible. That's why I was so excited to have you on. And, you know, no one better to open up Series 8, in my opinion. But obviously, Hen, you've worked with the England women's team and now you're working more domestically and within the 100. What are some of the differences or similarities between the roles? 
Yeah, great question, actually. I, I guess I'm still figuring out a, a, some of that. Um, I've been working in, in the domestic game for coming up to five five months now. Um, the big difference is the no travel. And, and from a personal point of view, that's really important. Uh, anyone who's involved in cricket will tell you travel is incredible, um, but it does, it can catch up with you. Um, you. You see that with players. Sometimes you just know when your race is run and you can't do that anymore. So from a personal point of view, it's great to be at home in my own home rather than living out of a suitcase. Um, but in terms of the, the similarities, I think it's there are lots of similarities. Basically, you're still trying to take women's cricket to people who maybe aren't yet sure how brilliant it is um so you know across england and the domestic game we have people such as yourselves who get it and want to be there and support and raise raise the kind of um focus on it etc etc but equally we're still trying to get to lots of new people um people maybe who watch our men's team but don't yet appreciate how fantastic our women's team are maybe people who love women's football but haven't kind of migrated across to women's cricket yet so there are huge similarities which is just taking the game to new audiences new people and convincing some older ones that the women's cricket is absolutely absolutely brilliant as as we all know it is and how did you first discover that you loved women's cricket so i actually um was always a fan to be honest with you um i and i think this is for one main reason which is that when i grew up um my mum was the person who i did sport with um she's an incredible woman um she's run about 10 marathons um it's just an absolute superhero and my dad had no interest in sport so when I was very little my dad would take my sisters to ballet on a Saturday morning my mum would take me and my brother to football and that was just how it worked in our house and I think growing up with her being in stands with her hearing people say things to her sometimes I remember you know some unsavory moments where you think why does why does it have to be like that? Um, and equally, seeing my sisters not get the same opportunities uh, that me and my brother did, um, you know, obviously I was kind of male passing, and and you know I had a, the upbringing of a boy, and in many ways, uh, tragically, that that is that's quite a privileged and fortunate position to be in. So sport was kind of given to me on a plate, um, and I was given so many opportunities. My sisters weren't. My mum loved football. I think this led to this wider appreciation of kind of all things women's sport. I remember 2005 really vividly. I don't know whether either of you are old enough to remember it well, but that was my first introduction to women's cricket. So I remember, and she's now a colleague slash boss, um, seeing Claire Connor on the open top bus. Um, Charlotte Edwards obviously was a big part of that series. Catherine Brunt was a part of that series. I remember, I think I was listening to the radio in the car and they went from the men's test match to the result of the women's test match, which I think was at Stratford. And I, I think that might have been my first time where I thought, oh, you know, they're playing as well. Um, there were a couple of girls at my school who played or one girl who played and then a girl at my club who played. So I had very limited experience of it being a thing until I was about 14. And then from there, just kind of it took on a life of its own and became something that, um, yeah, I became really passionate about. I, th I think at the heart of it, I without sounding like Robin Hood or something that I, I'm quite driven by a sense of justice and by people being given the same access to things and I think the fact that that isn't true of women's sport has always been something that has driven my interest in in hopefully being a small part to changing that. Hen Cowan, alter ego, Robin Hood. <laughs> I'll take it. It's a series, picture to the yeah. beat. I don't think they'd be interested. I could try um, but if we do get the Beeb, I think I might try and give them some of our players as opposed to me. Nah, 
<laughs> we're bored of them. We see them all the time. They're always on the telly. We want we want the real stories. Um, I don't so, think so. Since you found your passion for it and got involved, women's cricket has changed a lot and definitely for the better. What are some of the biggest things you've seen and things that you're most proud of to say that has changed so much since then? Well, I think that's another really exciting part of women's sport in general uh, is that it is incredibly fast moving. Um, so every single year it shifts really massively great english it shifts loads every year without you even really knowing how much it shifted um and that applies to all women's sport applies to if you look at the big three in our country um actually four if you include netball if, if you look at those sports each of them is 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 making great strides every single year and whether that's in terms of attendances whether that's in terms of sponsorship whether that's in terms of television deals salaries for the players Every single one of those things is moving forward across all of those sports. Um, so I think that is a really exciting thing. I think in cricket specifically, I think this summer could be really quite, not shocking, shocking is the wrong word, but like, yes, like another nice big tick. Because when England play at Lords, Oval and Edgebaston in the three Ashes T20s, in what I'm hoping are going to be sold out crowds, We've not been there yet, you know. Um, obviously, we had 15,000 at Lords last summer for the last ODI against India. But in general, we haven't been playing at Category A venues um, as regularly as maybe we could have. So that's a big moment. Um, I think the thing, and it's very corny, I think the thing that always makes me the happiest is when you see the young girls come and get autographs or whatever, and you can see how excited they are and how much it means to them. And that goes back to my earlier point. You know, as a society, we still give boys sport so readily which is obviously great but we don't still give girls the same opportunities so when you see girls I remember this it, was, it still sticks in the head there was a young girl at Bristol in 2017 so a long time ago she's probably playing for England now um like practicing cover drives in the outfield during the World Cup like just beyond the advertising hoardings like literally just like running around as kids do and just and it was like yeah she watches this and gets it and now wants to play. So all the moments like that, all the moments of like, oh, you've inspired a love of the game in that young girl. They're always the like, that's the biggest moment. That's the best thing. So as we know, it's going to be a groundbreaking year for cricket, hopefully. We've just had a groundbreaking year for football. We've seen the likes of Mason Mount, Ben Chilwell get behind the England women's football team. And now we're sort of seeing that kind of flow into cricket. We've got Owen Morgan ever the supporter of women's cricket, Owen Morgan, Joss Butler. We even had a Somerset captain, Tom Abel, which the under-19s, good luck for the final. How pleasing is it to see that the big names are getting behind the women's team? Because the women's team are phenomenal, and sometimes they do actually also outperform the men's team. <laughs> yeah, I, I think male allyship is really, really important. I think, you know... In you look at um sorry to bring I hope he's never been brought up in a women's cricket um chat before podcast before but you look at someone like Andrew Tate uh, the way that men like him can influence young boys which is very scary but it demonstrates something which is that role model thing and I'm obviously not likening any male players to him but I think having a Morgan abroad a Butler make it loud and clear that they think that this is a good thing, worthy of time, worthy of investment, worthy of watching, is actually a very key thing for getting those young boys to understand that as well and to ensure that the next generation, when they come through, 
it's immediate to them and it's obvious to them that we deserve the two um the two um men's and women's cricket to be seen as as equally good things um i remember i worked with the men's under 19s uh in 2017 the beginning of my time at the ecb actually that was the era of harry brook um tom banton uh will jacks uh a, a brilliant middlesex bowler called ethan bambert who i would say is potentially the nicest person in cricket if not the cleverest if not maybe both um and even then, in 2017, I was struck by how they, as 19-year-olds, got it more than the senior team did in 2017, if you see what I mean. So I think we're already seeing that shift with with the younger generation getting it more, but it helps to have, really, really helps to have male allyship. And I think we should see more of that. And I think that... Um, it's a massive thing for our men's players to to make it clear that women's cricket is good and exciting and, and worth our time. That brings me nicely on to my next point, because obviously in football, you've got teams like Chelsea who are very much have that mentality. One club, two teams, Man- Manchester City do it as well. Spurs to a certain extent, Everton. And I think what's so pleasing, especially about the Ashes this summer is the fact that it's been advertised with both teams not just in years gone past it would have just been I don't know Joe Root by himself and Sophia Dunkley but no this this year it's both of them together and I think by doing it that way it's kind of opening it up to more people I think it hopefully it should have a really positive impact and also I just really hope England can do the double over Australia I'm tired of seeing Aussies (laughs) doing everything oh I mean on the second point like I, I see quite a lot of discussion off the back of the uh, ICC Women's T20 World Cup just now that obviously Australia won. Like, it's so funny. I, I see some people be like, oh, it's really boring when Australia win. And then I see some people say like, well, no, but they are an incredible sports team. They are. They are an incredible sports team. But selfishly, I would love them not to win something for once. I totally agree with you. Australia are fantastic. That that team, the women's team, once in a generational team, I think some unbelievably special players. Um, but I would love other teams to start uh, to start winning. I'm very very much an India fan when it's India Australia because there's there's something of a India seem better. India seem more able to beat Australia than uh, than we do at the minute. But equally, I think we're more able to be India than Australia are. If you see what I mean, it's a funny kind of. There's a, there's some there's something there that's, that's bizarre. Um, but to the first point, I totally agree. The Ashes to Ashes campaign. If you've not seen any of it yet, I'm sure you will see it across the next few months. Loads of our players, men's and women, side by side, celebrating big moments. I love it. It's a great piece of work. Um, and the Ashes held kind of together for the first time, put on the same platform, is a massive thing. Um, and I really hope that we see um we see the the results of that. I think we will. Ticket sales are going fantastically well. Um, and I expect to see some pretty busy crowds this summer for England internationals against Australia, which is so great. Um, interestingly, just square bracket almost, it's an indication of how fast these things move. Because I think three or four years ago, probably pre the 100, I think general consensus, and if you look at Australia with the BBL and WBBL, I think the general consensus was let's not package these things up together. Let's let women's sport stand on its own feet. And it's very interesting. I don't think there's a right or a wrong, but it's very interesting that that's evolving again. Um, you know, double headers, I think, were a bit like, uh, and now they seem to really work again, um, or at least they've worked really well in the 100. Uh, and I think the WBBL and BBL, like, I'm not saying they've got anything wrong, but I reckon they'd love to be together again now, weirdly, despite the fact that they were able to be independent because they were the strongest league. So really interesting. I just think just an example of how quickly the terrain moves in uh, marketing and promoting women's sport. All I can hear is the song from Greece. 
Uh, we go together like Gemini, and so now that's all I can ask. What that'll be my hundred for this year. So you heard it. Yeah, um, fine. Okay, I'll see yeah. if we can get the rights. We'll always no stop. Um. Anyway, so we were talking about Australia and their dominance, and obviously you've been there with the England side touring Australia, and it can be really, really tough when they just mm. keep coming out and they dominate and they dominate. How do you? help players sort of manage that and what's it like being on tour when you are sort of being pummeled a bit by the Australian <laughs> how do you help sort of on the mental side the physical the motivational side of that yeah very kind of opposite question I think it's very very difficult I think in sport in general and look I've only got experience of touring with with one team across one sport but I'm sure people who have done this for longer or across different sports, different teams will have more of an insight. But I think you need, you really need to try and strip the outcome of what you're doing away from everybody's well-being. Um, and that goes for winning as well. You know, don't don't get into a world where winning equals happy and losing equals sad because you can't control that. You know, you 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 really can't, whether you're at home against a smaller team or whether you're away against Australia. You know, what you can control is what you do um you know the effort you put in the preparation you make the decisions that you take on the field etc cetera, etc cetera. so i think as a member of the support staff and you know i'm a very small cog in a very big wheel firstly as the communications manager media manager you're you are beneath a lot of people like rightly like the words i'm going to say are nothing compared to batting coach bowling coach head coach assistant etc 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 captain all of those people like i am an irrelevance compared to them so you're never really talking in a team setting. I think what your role then is, is just to support individuals as you would friends, you know. Um, and there have been countless moments when people ride the highs and they ride the lows and it's difficult. And and I really think it's one of the my biggest takeaways of being in this job is nobody on the inside, sorry, nobody on the outside of a sports team understands how difficult it is and how much effort it takes. And the the emotions that the players go through are just immense um and the pressures on them are immense imagine imagine going on tour for like five weeks six weeks away from home away from all of your support network and you're measured on whether you win games of cricket and then imagine you're not even picked imagine that you're 12 13 14 or 15 for all that period of time and you go to training and you try and do your thing and then you have another chat and it's like i'm sorry you're not playing you've done nothing wrong but you're not in their best 11 so difficult so 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 difficult and then you get a chance and maybe you don't take it and you're back to where you were um i think that the, the picking up of um players and the relationships with players is a very important part of the job for any support staff member and you just try and treat everybody as people um and not as cricketers and you know um don't yeah don't don't tie everything to whether you got 100 that day or took wickets or won the game because that will come back to um hurt you when it doesn't go so well and those are perhaps some of the the lower parts of being on tour but what what was great about going on tour to uh, obviously you get to go to these incredible places and with some of people that became some of your best mates what were the sort of highs and lows of getting to travel with the team i mean what's good about touring could be you know 10 podcasts in and of itself it's i said when i left the job I, when i was leaving and in, in the dressing room at lords lots of goodbyes because lisa was obviously leaving as well um i said to all of the players there that doing that job was the greatest privilege of my life and that's absolutely true and it was 
I feel so honoured to have been so near to some of England's best sports people. Um, you know, athletes at the top of their um, top of their career doing some incredible things. So all all of the most incredible memories are people achieving individual things because you know how much it means to them. Um, I can think al almost every player you can think of that's played in the last six years, I can think of a highlight for them that stands out in my head as being, oh, remember when she did that? Like, remember how great that was? Remember how important that was for her? Um, so many of them. I remember having a really lovely chat with Danny Wyatt in the Canberra uh, cafeteria just after she scored her 100 in Canberra to win what was at the time a record T20 chase, chase down 160 in the final Ashes T20 of 2017. And seeing her on her phone to her mum and dad, I think. I remember Kate Cross defending about four in Guwahati in a T20. Um, I remember, I mean, Natsi Brunt just consistently scoring runs and being incredible. Um, Heather... Which Heather could also second... be a 10 series podcast. Yeah, it? It absolutely could. Heather, I mean, I, Heather and I are very close and um, I don't think Heather ever gets the credit she deserves from basically anybody. And um, her second ODI ton uh, at Derby um, was uh, against New Zealand. I was so, 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 so happy for her because I know how much um, she'd been desperate to, to get there. Um, Tammy climbing the charts. Tammy's nearly scored more ODI 100s for England than anybody else, England women. That's going to be an incredible achievement when she gets there and I'll be so proud of her. I mean, yeah, individual achievements just mean the world. Um, equally, those moments when you're in the hotel after a game, sharing uh, each other's success and sharing each other's stories are, yeah, they're a, they're a very special place to be. And just on that, we can't have you on and not talk about that iconic 2017 Women's World Cup final. Talk about individual moments. Like, talk us through that day for you, because obviously working that and then having to contain your emotions when you when you're working on the sidelines and you are such a fan of the team, it's so difficult to control your emotions. Oh, tell me about it. I. I... I'm not good at controlling my emotions at the best of times. I, I very much wear them on my sleeve, um, which actually my, my previous point about not getting too high when you win and not getting too low when you lose. I was very bad at that. Um, I was very, very bad at that. I remember when we were rained off at Sydney T20 World Cup 2020. Yeah, that was it was a really low, grim day for everybody because we didn't even get a chance. Um 2017 was crazy. I was so new to the job. I'd only joined in like April. The India game at Derby, the first game of the World Cup, was my first game with the team. Um, we, I, I, in many ways, there's so much that I don't remember because because I don't think I was taking it in as well as I should have. I remember I was new to being not a journalist, so I was in the press box, and you know I get along with loads of with loads of the journalists, and they were all kind of they knew how. Uh, under stress I was, how stressed I was. Like my, I was shaking, literally shaking. And I remember Jared Kimber, Adam Collins. I re remember some up. They were asking me questions just to like, like really irrelevant questions, like just to like annoy me in a very friendly way. You know, like um, oh, how many overs has um, has Nat Silver got left? Like just like shut up and you know, you know, just things like that. Like oh, is it, how many reviews have they got left? Like just to wind me up because I was just so tense. Um, I was a ball of nerves. I actually ran around to get back to the dressing room for the final wicket. So I was at the back of the dressing room on my own behind the coaches, Mark Robinson, um, Ali Maiden, Chris Sykes, our analyst, um, and Ian Salisbury at the time. 
I was behind them, watching them as uh, Anya took that final wicket. Um, and yeah, I got hairs on the back of my neck thinking about it. Um, I then, funnily enough, I was then in overdrive. I did more work from the end of that game until about two days later. I was just flat out. I arranged a whole press day at Lords, which was a, a huge like a scope of work. Then I went up to Manchester to the BBC um, to take the trophy there. I didn't really stop. The next two days, I don't really know what I was doing. I was just like operating on fumes, to be honest. So what you're saying is it's very much like Mark Wood vibes where he was sitting on the washing machine during the 2019 final. So you were like running around and yeah. what else can you do really? Because it's just all that nervous energy. It's something, you know, they work their whole lives to achieve. Not everyone achieves winning a World Cup. And Hen, you've obviously brought them some luck because, (laughs) you know. I don't think so because... If you think about it, I was I was I've been with the team across six years. Uh, been to a few finals with them, um, and we won one. So if I did bring any luck, um, I don't know where it was for the rest of my time with the team. Sadly, um, no, I, I I was very lucky to turn up as they won that that tournament. Um, it was uh, it was an incredible day and genuinely crazy. Alice Capsey in the stands, Lauren Bell in the stands, um, Freya Kemp probably barely born. Like you know. That was a real Sarah Glenn in the, like loads of our players now were there watching. That's oh, I mean, that's just incredible. And you have become really good friends with lots of the players on the team, and you sort of you're entwined in their lives and they've become friends to you as well. And then you got to present Crossy with her 50th ODI cap. What was mm. that like for you? Oh, so great. Uh, amazing. Um I was very, very, very happy to be able to do that. Um, uh, I uh, I just wish I hadn't held the phone in front of my face because Mike Selvey, former England player uh, and Guardian correspondent, um, someone, I think it was, might have been James Butler, someone on Twitter said like, oh, what a lovely speech, which is a lovely thing to say. Mike Selvey commented saying, you know, yeah, sh- shame uh, he misgendered me, not his fault, he didn't know. Shame he's, uh, shame he's reading off a phone though which honestly stayed in my heart for six months because I didn't even need the phone. I had it off by heart. I practiced it. It was just there for backup, you know? Um, That was, I was so happy to be able to do that because as I kind of intimated in the speech, I knew how much it meant to Kate and how hard she'd worked. And um, I think on the outside, people don't know that about her and about lots of other players. So that was an incredibly, incredibly proud moment to be able to uh, present her with her cap. It meant the world. And would you put that up there as one of, you know, you've been there when they've won World Cups, you've been there for achievements, ashes, all those kind of things, but something like that, because it's so personal, would you put that right up there? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Especially as I knew I was leaving as well. So it was kind of like it acted as like a bit of a goodbye as well. Um, Yeah. You know, the funny thing about teams and so many players will tell you this, you know, Anya, who who moved on recently, Fran, who moved on recently, like when you move on, even if you're someone as big as Anya, um, the team moves on. It, 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 it They have to. They have to evolve so quickly. So there's never the kind of footprint of a specific sports team. It only ever exists while it exists and then the next game is different the next game is different so that was a moment in time for me personally because they've moved on now you know they're in a different world um they'll have a new media manager soon um so for me it was a lot kind of a time capsule moment i'm really glad that i was able to be there and be a part of it and um, it was very funny actually because normally the landmark cap discussion is one that i have with heather um you know oh it's 
Sophie's 50th T20 cap. Who do you think would be a good person to do it? Or uh, maybe Crossy would be a good person. Okay. Or, or Lammy would be whatever. But Heather was obviously injured. So Jonesy was captain. And um, I'm sure Josie won't mind me saying she didn't really want the added stress of those conversations. So I kind of had to make the call myself. But that then was like, well, now I'm just asking myself to present a cap. So I had, I rang Heather and spoke to Lisa and said, look, I feel uncomfortable about this, but I do think Alex Hartley was away. I do think I'm the best person here to do this. But yeah, it was very funny because I basically gave myself that job, um, which was a bit embarrassing, but it was the right decision. I stand by it. I actually love that. Everyone else goes away and you're like, it's fine. I'll just do it. Don't worry. You want me to do the toss as well? Yeah, it's fine. Don't worry. I got this. That's actually fantastic. So you're moving on now from the England role to the domestic stuff. And we've seen this grow like incomparable to what it used to be, the women's game. How mm. much does that excite you to be part of that? And also the hundred now we're coming into, we've passed, we had season one, we've passed the dreaded second album. Mm-hmm. Difficult second album. Yeah. And now we're into year three. How much does it excite you to be part of this? I hugely, hugely excited to be a part of it. I think that, um, the way I've always looked at it is with women's sport, you could pursue a route of just making your England team or your whatever your international team is really brilliant and giving loads of funding to the top. Uh, and almost like an Olympic sport, you basically have 20 athletes that rotate across a period of time. But that's not where cricket is. What Where cricket is moving is to become a genuinely professional, genuinely sustainable domestic environment. We have 99 professional women's cricketers now, both domestic plus England, which, by the way, is a tantalising number. Like, surely someone just has to fund the 100th. Um, now, 99 professional women's players in the beginning of COVID, the beginning of COVID, we only had the England players. Um, now we have 99. Um, I that's the biggest step I think the game has made in the last six years is, is those players, Georgia Adams, Marie Kelly, Lindsay Smith, whoever it is getting to be a professional cricketer because it's, it's um, well, a it's right, obviously, but B it makes the game so much stronger all the time. They get better. They get to spend more time on task. Um, the, The pool of cricketers gets wider. Young players can see that they can become professionals. Therefore, we we can draw from wider talent. They're not all going to football, etc. So, 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 so excited. And then the other side of that coin is the profile element of it, which the 100 has nailed across its first two years. You know, we want to see packed out crowds. Um, and we want to see people coming to watch women's cricket in their thousands and thousands. So we are, and we will continue to be on the brink of something because we won't solve this next year or the year after. Every year will be a, a step forward. You know, every year the salaries will go up. Every year more fans will come in. Every year there'll be more commercial deals. So in another six years, when, you know, my gosh, I'm still at the ECB, never know. Um, it'll be even bigger and even better. And there'll be more pros and women's cricket will become more known. And, and that's what we're all working towards. There's a the word effervescent. And that, I think, describes your energy about this. It, You know, when it's just, it grabs you. You can tell how much it means to you and how much women's cricket as a whole means to you. I just wanted to add that because that's very kind of you. What day is it? Tuesday lunchtime. No one feels excited on a Tuesday lunchtime, but that's got that's got me excited. Well, yeah. remember, I did just get Eurovision tickets, so I'm kind of imbued within me is a sense of huge excitement from the Eurovision tickets. So you know, I am passionate, but equally, the Eurovision tickets have definitely had a kind of halo effect on my mood. I think. 
I mean, what a year. Eurovision, <laughs> the home ashes, that is all anyone asked for. Yeah, it's, this it's year huge. It will go down in history. It will, absolutely. What about winning Eurovision artist performs at the ashes? Uh, yeah, fine. Booked, yeah. done. Great idea. Done, thank Booked you. Off. Another one, fine. thank you. Sign that one off. Um, <laughs> so we've looked at what's coming up this summer, um, obviously after Eurovision, but I just want to look a little bit back at you. And um, last year, obviously, you announced you were transgender non-binary. What was it like for you to sort of make that step? And how did it feel? Like, how freeing did that feel for you? Uh, it was. It's funny because... Um... A lot of people say, like, it sounds like I'm tooting my own horn now, but a lot of people are like, oh, that was very brave. But actually, it it didn't feel very brave to me because it, it I didn't feel like I had another option. Um, I had for very, 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 very many years decided that I was never going to be able to share that part of my life and my identity with other people. I'd just written it off as a kid. I was like, well, that's a secret that I'll that I'll die with. Um, but as I got older, um, it became clear to me that I had to, I, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't um, a kind of want to, it was a, a need to to share who I was and, and to share kind of my authentic self to use a, a very kind of cliched LGBTQ plus quote. Um, but it was, it was, it's been hugely liberating and hugely, hugely important for me. Uh, I can't really stress that enough. My life has improved immeasurably um ever since um and just not being seen um when when i am successfully not seen as a man as he him um it it is so affirming um and feels fantastic um it's difficult you know i'm a very big human um it's still fighting a battle um in in our society especially at such a immensely difficult time for, for trans people um but for me personally I have hugely benefited from sharing that with other people and um yeah it's um it's made me a lot happier and I sort of look at women's cricket quite proudly as a place that does accept people of all their beliefs loves whatever you know it is a place for everyone do you find that that is sort of the case in women's cricket as well it is this really inclusive place because people are allowed you know we've got a married couple who have just announced recently that they're going to have their married name on their backs playing for England. And that is something I see. I'm very proud to support a team and an organisation that is so inclusive on that front. One million percent. Um, I think actually I'd go even further. I think being a part of that community and working with a number of um number of gay women helped me actually get to a point where I could live my truth um so yes incredibly supportive but also actually I think um kind of helped me work out more about who I was um I, you know I can think of so many experiences and, and actually often it wasn't just our wasn't just our players you know our staff were always fantastic I remember being in, in Australia for the ashes just gone actually and I remember Alex Blackwell who I don't know you know, obviously, I, I we grew up watching her, but I don't, I don't really know her personally. I think we might have talked once or twice, but I just remember her kind of shouting over at me, just, just hey hen or whatever it was, and just like the fact that she had taken the time to understand who I was and what was going on. A, just very polite, but B, like I don't know, I felt a great amount of support from people like Alex, who were actually not in my immediate circle or sphere, but who were in women's cricket and 
who um understood i guess um a little bit about being different and um yeah it, it is an immensely supportive place and that's something i really benefited from i agree with you i think it's a huge strength of uh, the women's game i think that's also what i love about women's sport because it is very open you compare it to the men like for instance charles player Ruth James, everyone's always speculating about his sexuality and it really frustrates me because a lot of people and you see the toxicity because a lot of people are like, oh, if he's gay, I don't want to play for my club. I do not care if someone is gay. It does not make a difference to their ability to perform. Like, let players be who they are. And it frustrates me because and I get really upset about it because men's sport shouldn't be like that. Why is why is women's sport able to be so open? But there's still such that toxic, toxicity and lad banter. It's not, it's not funny because you don't know what your words how they could affect someone else and I think Mm. you coming out as trans non-binary it's it's such a good thing because there could be that person at a game who could be you know in turmoil about this decision and then they can talk to someone like you and it is such an inspiring thing to be that role model perhaps that you didn't have growing up Mm. well I mean hopefully I I, you know I, I having kind of lived as a man or you know certainly having been perceived as a man and been in lots of male spaces in my life like the flip side or not the flip side but that in addition to what you're saying actually that uh, so much of it is is limiting is limiting to the men within it that the toxicity of the patriarchy and the way that men interact with each other is actually incredibly unfair on men like i i have had enough interactions and enough time with people to know they do they wouldn't i don't know they necessarily know it but they don't feel able to be their their true authentic genuine selves because a lot of men are just not taught that that's okay for them um and and, and we see that as well in the way that they then treat women's sport often you know it, it's just they look down on on women and all things feminine because you know they're so scared of and protective of their own masculinity and what it means to be a man so I really agree with you. I think men's sport has a long way to go. I actually think very often the athletes within it are um, better than it looks, if you see what I mean. Because I think what the patriarchy does and what toxic toxic masculinity does is it aggregates men together. So actually, individuals are often not that bad, but you put them in a group and they become bad because it's there that they can't be weak with other men. So for example, I have worked with the men's England men's team since coming out. And, um, you know, I had nothing but nothing but support and kindness from them. Um, And, you know, there was definite attempts to get it right um, in terms of pronouns and things. And definitely, I mean, I worked with a lot of them when I, when I was Henry and then I came out to a lot of them and said it's not my name anymore and everybody respected that so um I think it, there's a lot I totally agree there's a lot that needs to be improved in men's sport 100% um I think it has its roots back in toxic masculinity and just men not being allowed to to kind of be true to themselves I think well I'm very happy and we are very happy that you can be true to yourself because also I really want to borrow that outfit too so <laughs> you're always well. welcome you're always um, welcome I'm also tall, so you never know. It might actually be long enough. We can share, so it'd be fine. Yeah, you're, you can have it. You can have it. Oh, thanks. You can have my, you know, lacrosse hoodie. I don't think it will fit me, sadly. I do have somewhere in this room, or maybe downstairs, your women's cricket chat purple bobble hat. So there you go. It would be an item of clothing for an item of clothing. The Arctic temperatures 
are on the way. So <laughs> you're going to need it. And it would match nicely with the dress. Maybe you can wear it at Eurovision. Yeah, I'll see. I'll let you know. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll come back to that. Well, maybe maybe sideline that one. Perhaps not for Eurovision. <laughs> so um, we obviously don't want to keep you all day because, you know, you need to... You need to digress that you've got tickets to Eurovision because that that needs some thinking about rather than having to talk to us. But we always like to round up with some sort of quick fire questions. Um, quite often we go for what's your favourite sledge you've ever used or heard. <laughs> I don't uh, have so one. I'm going to kick off with that one. <laughs> oh, I've got you... a good one actually. Okay, right. one. what's your favourite sledge one. you've ever used or heard? Uh, not used, but heard. Um... Uh, the England women's analyst is a fantastic man called Chris Sykes. He's been in the job the whole time I was in the job. Uh, Ian Salisbury, former England coach, lovely man. Um, Ian Salisbury in 2016, before my time with the team, was going at Chris and going at Chris and going at Chris and slagging him off. I think it was about, yeah, it was about Chris's socks. He was just slagging off Chris's socks on a tour of South Africa. He just kept picking it in, picking him in front of everyone, you know, uh, all the players, all the staff, just kind of, you know, belittling Chris. And um, Ian, as you may know, played cricket for England men, um, but he played maybe 10 times or something. Very talented, very talented cricketer. But he didn't play as many times for England as maybe he would have liked. Um, and he was going at Chris, going at Chris, going at Chris, going at Chris. And Chris just said, very quiet man, Chris just said, Souls, if you worried as much about leg spin as you do my socks, you'd have played many more times for England. <laughs> love that. It was great. I love that. And I also love how personal it is too. <laughs> nice alex you want to go to the next one sure um whose idea was it for the viral tiktok and how much convincing did it take <laughs> glenny um and i didn't need any convincing i was quite happy i think Kath, mm, who else is in it natty's in it i think maybe nat needed heather and nat i think maybe needed a little bit of convincing they're not kind of tiktok adjacent people um i can't remember who else is in it me crossy Glennie, Jonesy, Jonesy, uh, Danny Wyatt, Danny. Yeah, not much convincing required. Sarah's TikTok is fantastic. Um, oh, yeah. Auntie Saz, as I call her, um, she has a fantastic social media presence. Um, so yeah, anything that Glennie wants on the social, I'm very happy to uh, be on board with. I just thought it was so ironic that when it came to the bit about the car being from Japan, that it was Nat Matt who said it because yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tokyo born. There, like, laughing my head off <laughs> but I was like lip syncing on point although yeah. I always find that frustrating because we were better at lip syncing than the video appears like the way it yeah. saves mm. it always saves out of sync I don't understand yeah, we, were, we were better a bit laggy we were better um what's your favorite item at a cricket tea uh oh gosh we could get I, I know exactly the answer to this we could go for a long time here about English cricket gowns and their best teas. I'll tell oh, you now I know what's the, coming don't I it's the banana uh the chopped banana in kind of honey custard that um Somerset do Taunton yeah. unbelievable ah well done Somerset we Great actually food. had Sonalo Jafter on last series and she was on about it too when we brought it did up. she yeah. like it good on her everyone loves it I don't really like bananas, so I feel like... Uh, that's not, it's not for you then, I don't think, that one. Probably not for me. Um, where's the best place that has food? I mean, you hear about Lords all the time, but I love that the first thing that's come up is the Taunton banana pudding. I would say the food at English Cricket Gowns generally is very good. Um, Leicester jumps out, really old school um, kind of service situation, um, but very nice food. Um, where else? Um 
Ooh, what else do we play? I think what's what's the food like at Derby? Chelmsford's definitely um definitely around. Um Hove? Uh, Hove's good, I think. Hove's quite good. The one that jumps out is Taunton. Leicester is good. Um Derby? I'm trying to remember Derby, which doesn't bode particularly well for it. Oh, Derby's all right. We always eat in the gym, which is weird. Uh, that's why I, I can't remember it. Um, Dar- <laughs> Derby, Derby, not bad. No, no issues with Derby at all. I'm not going to criticise any of them, but definitely Leicestershire and Somerset, my my faves personally. But mine was um, other than Lords, Manchester and Edgebaston. You see, and this is a sign of the times for the women's game. I have not worked at either of those grounds with England women. Um, so this summer. Uh, well, they're actually not at Old Trafford, but this summer they can attest to the Birmingham food. Birmingham, I'm told, Edgbaston, where I grew up, is incredible. So I will, but I can't vouch for it, but I'm sure it's fantastic. I went there once and they had a pick and mix as well. Like, well, it, you've got a lot to be said for that. Like, no, in Birmingham. Moving <laughs> um, on. What's favourite? Favourite music? Favourite band? Uh, Self Esteem. That was quick. Um, and the last TV show you binged? Uh, the last TV show I binged actually was Arrested Development. I was re-watching it um, on Netflix. Um, I've watched it the whole thing through before, but, you know, it was a kind of tragic, lonely Netflix night and I thought I'd start again. So for the last few months, that's been my go-to background viewing. I love that. I just re-watched all of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. So Great, great suggestion. That's why you mentioned Sabrina that's when you said when what we were it? on WhatsApp. Yeah. Yeah. Hen- they said, um, what's the... Dress code, and you said 90s Sabrina. 90s Sabrina, which actually which not... has come back into fashion a lot now, oh, I think. Hence the scrunchie. What a show. Great oh, show. A... Great Honestly, show. Honestly, if you want like show recommendations, I'll forward them on to Georgie to forward on to you. I'll <laughs> be watching things like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Community. Great show. I've watched Arrested no. Development, and It's Always Sunny. We are, me and my flatmates are currently go working through dinner date. And dinner date? Yeah. I've not seen that. Oh I've not seen goodness. that. It's, it's literally this person goes and has dinner with different people, blind dates, and they cook for them in the week. And it's cringe and amazing. But Married in like, Australia has just started again, so now I'm out of any. I'd like to be very, very old and flag my love of two specific shows, Homes Under the Hammer and yeah. um grand designs which are oh, two okay. fantastic cool. shows. and the best bit yeah, nothing wrong about that. is the bit um have you seen the video they made of him because he always goes like this yeah so yeah martin with piano music and yeah. it's just fantastic what made you buy the property yeah yeah oh it's a great show <laughs> well on that bombshell i think can, <laughs> i think we can leave it on that one you've got enough tv selections to keep you going hmm. until the cricket kicks off which is quite soon but we will leave you to ponder over the fact that you will be going to Eurovision in just a couple yeah. of time it's now what what is it it's the 7th of 7th March. of March so two months pretty much so two months we want mm. all the videos all the yeah. outfit choices and all the excitement Hen Cowan thank you so much for joining us on Women's Cricket Chat today I'm sure I speak for myself and Alex say it's been absolutely bloody marvellous Thank you so much for having me. I feel totally privileged to be here. It's an honour. Keep flying the flag for the women's game. Flying all those flags. Thank you so much. And to all our listeners, if you want to keep up to date with everything that we're doing, you can follow us on Twitter and TikTok at WCricketChat, on Instagram at Women's Cricket Chat, 
And if you want to give us a like on Facebook, we are Women's Cricket Chat. If you'd like to give our personal Twitters a follow, then it's at GeorgiaHeath27, at CassieCoons98, at Mahika Varshney, and I'm at Alex Shane Pereira. This has been Women's Cricket Chat. Tune in next time. Got to